1: You're
2: listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast.
1: Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fakes, the
3: gods are with the gods! It's going to be a game of six quarters. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Outer Sanctum, where my football-loving lady friends and I bring you the stories often untold from the Outer. We also bring you the omens and the stupid stuff that football dishes up. I'm Emma Race. Say hello to my football-loving lady friends, Nicole Hayes. How are you? I'm so good. Enjoying these finals? Yeah, you're about to stamp your passport and get out of Melbourne Town, which is really interesting for a football fan.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really heartbreaking. This is what happens when you marry an American. They don't understand grand finals. Mm-mm. You're oh.
3: going to be churning up so much data on your phone following the scores. Sorry. Lucy Race, how are you?
4: I'm so good. I feel like I'm straight through to a prelim. Oh, That's cool. nice.
3: Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm great. Dr Kate's I'm, here I'm, for those playing along at
5: home. I'm great. There are some Americans that understand footy, though. We're going to learn about that a little bit later on the pod.
3: Yeah, That's a good point. Hello, yeah. Alicia, sometimes. Pump up the finals. Pump them up. Pump them up. <laughs> Damn straight. And Felicity, race. How are you?
0: I'm good. If we got another buy this week, or are we playing again? Mm. Just the word. Some people have a week off.
3: Mm. Not us. That's true. Some yeah. people have a lot of weeks off. Some, mm. some people have a lot of weeks <laughs> off. Hey, um, it is very exciting. We the omens are thick and fast in this town, and they are coming into us at, like it's a teleth- like it's an omen telethon. <laughs> so I'm going to cross straight to the omen desk with Dr. Kate Sierra. What do you got for us?
5: Well, there were so many this week. And so, um, as we've said previously, we really don't need to do much research for Omen Watch anymore because people send them to us, which is my favourite kind of way of working. So, first of all, I want to give a shout-out to Josh Kay, who we've had on the podcast before. He tweeted this week a really interesting stat. This is something that will uh, please Richmond fans endlessly. So, he noted that the last four years that Richmond beat Geelong in a final were... I'm sure some of you will remember this, Lucy, you're, you're pretty <laughs> old, 19, 1934, <laughs> 1967, 1969, and 1980. And the interesting fact about each of those years was that Richmond won the flag in every single one of them. Wow. So, wow. wow. Uh, then I saw a little um, interesting tidbit tweeted out by our friend Giggs, who's always on the ball when it comes to these kind of things. So... He noticed something very peculiar about the scoreline of the Richmond-Geelong game. So the uh, Geelong fans, block your ears because this is a bit like uh, <laughs> PTSD having to revisit this. But Richmond won that game comprehensively in the end, 91 to 40. And Geeks noted that that scoreline has only ever happened twice in AFL-M history, AFL, VFL history, once was in 1903 and the other time was in 1905 and on both occasions the team that won that game with that scoreline went on to win the flag. Oh, wow. my God. So I think it's written. It's done. It is. Might and as look, well buy your wig poster. There was, <laughs> <laughs> there was a spanner in the works though. I was in Richmond yesterday with my friend Emma Race and uh, I popped into a little cafe and there was a Richmond flag flying outside this cafe, but it was a bit of a windy, you know, crappy day weather-wise, and the flag had become all twisted, mm. and mm. and um and that was a bit of a problem. And so I worried whether this signalled doom for the Richmond Tigers. But then somebody I tweeted that out, and somebody responded to me and um, noted that it's all okay. The flag's just waiting to be unfurled. Oh, um, I so. like that. has got the
3: week off, it's oh, resting. Exactly. Didn't you go and
5: fix the flag? Like, untangle it? Well, it was a about 10 metres high. No, the, I know, um, but um, we're talking one percenters here. Yeah, seriously. True. True. Do you, Do you, you
3: have
4: going? any omens? Well, only that, you know, we've talked a little bit about what it means for the end of the world and yes. the apocalypse. And I don't want to keep going back into this because it's scary and dark.
3: But the listeners love
4: but it. The listeners mm. love it. And someone actually raised the question of if... Richmond winning means the apocalypse is nigh. Who are the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Mm, And there was a bit of discussion about, well, Dusty. Mm, Yes. -hmm. Well, well, that Dusty would be Mm. one of them. And what colour horse would he have been on? And I thought he would definitely have been on the black horse. So I did a little bit of reading and there is some talk in some (laughs) old book about about the rider of the black horse is carrying a set of scales. And to me that means it's going to tip the balance perhaps in favour
5: yeah well stay tuned next week because as you know Lucy we've got a little bit more to say about that Kate Mm. and I've been down a wormhole did the rider of the black horse
0: in that book also have like a really good fend off Mm. nice yeah (laughs) just wondering there were no pictures and tattoos in the non-scale
3: holding hand. So those games on the weekend, I am going to embarrass myself and say I really thought West Coast and Port was going to be the boring game of the round. Mm -hmm. How (sighs) wrong could I have been? We were all on a plane on on the way back on Friday night. So we were watching a game weirdly, getting updates from the captain. So thanks for that, (laughs) captain. Um, But who else has some observations? I really want to dig in and talk about Extra Time and West Coast and Port. But to kick it off, both Sydney and Adelaide won comprehensively. Does anyone think that they're unstoppable? I think Adelaide looks pretty good, but I do know I mean
5: Sydney were frightening, I thought. Yeah. Frightening. Yeah. They were on fire and Buddy Franklin was on fire and that's a very, very good sign if you're a Swans supporter, I think, to see him coming into such great form in September. So I yeah. found that Adelaide Giants game
4: on the Thursday I never liked games on a Thursday night no. and mm-hmm. so maybe that coloured it. But I, I didn't find it a uh, Entirely interesting game.
3: No, I don't don't. think GWS like games on Thursday night, which is why they didn't turn up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I'm still. I mean, I did call a while ago (laughs) the Sydney a Sydney Premiership. I did say Geelong would be the team. So this is clearly now not going to happen because they're playing each other Mm. this weekend. But my outside my my third option was the Adelaide, and I I think that's where it's going to go. I think with the Sydney win, just because looking at those two teams and the way they've performed, Sydney was. Really impressive.
3: Yeah, I thought they were really impressive too. I was surprised about Geelong. I always feel mm, like they're mm, mm. I feel like they've got a lot in their arsenal yeah. and I always expect them to really come out um firing and I was quite surprised. Do you think they'll bounce back this week? Has anyone got an opinion on that? It's interesting. I know that commentators which none of us
5: are of course, <laughs> because we're just kind of randoms chewing the fat, but um commentators often do say that in the week after that first week of finals everybody tends to go cold on the teams that lost you know mm-hmm. so everyone says oh well Geelong's going to lose again this week for sure GWS are going to lose again this week for sure but they finished top 4 usually mm. for a reason you know mm. this has been a very easy even season that's true but so i don't think we should forget about them they've both been very good yeah. teams throughout the year but they were disappointing and i think to be honest, with the exception of the, the game that went into extra time between Port and West Coast, I found the finals generally a bit flat
4: and disappointing. Yeah. yeah. You know who else I think may have gone cold is maybe the fans. There's a bit of talk about there's still tickets available for the Cats and Swans game. And anecdotally, I know of quite a number of Geelong supporters who've decided that they're not going to go. And oh, I thought that no. really weird.
2: I actually think they're going to. Put in a good show this weekend I'm sure they I just will. if they were playing anyone else, I would have backed them mm. i just don 't back them against sydney it 's jared mcveigh 's three hundredth
6: I, I love that in the Herald sun they said the scientific term for fear of swans is kicknophobia. and sadly <laughs> Geelong has a serious dose of it, and that they have a, a bit of history not playing so well it doesn 't matter whether it 's at the scg or the mcg they don 't have a, a great time with it, and they don 't have um, home state advantage. But I just love that Geelong has come from the top of the ladder, Sydney from the bottom. It's all almost, if you see a graph, it's like they're kind of meeting at converging. the end. It's like, mm. Converging. It's like the Adelaide huddle. It's, it's like an arrow. <laughs> um, they're, they're doing really well. But I just really quickly wanted to do a couple of haikus for the two upcoming finals oh. and they're haiku ets because i don't know if you know haikus usually have 17 syllables it's 2017 there you go kate oh. thank you
5: and um <laughs>
6: <coughs> it's usually about nature it's a japanese form of poetry but i i just thought that 17 syllables couldn't sum up my love enough so they're haiku ish and so this is geelong <laughs> versus sydney swans swim on calm lakes and travel in pairs Luke Parker and Jake Lloyd nestling the ball on the wing. The buddies of the team teaching the signets where the highest point is. Swans mate for life, but they can also break your arm. The cats will follow the bounce as if it was on a long piece of string. Danger Mouse and Tui will toy with the opposition. High pressure final as packed as a sardine can. Go Geelong, white and blue. No one. Wants to see the sad cat at the end. (laughs) And this is, I know, it's a bit of nature. There's a lot of nature. I liked it. Yeah, I like that. GWS versus West Coast. Super huge, behemoth, mammoth, leviathan, monster jumbo, and all the other synonyms that mean giant. Without Shane Mumford and Jeremy Cameron, you'll still stand tall. Stevie J will kick a ton, hit the scoreboard hard, beat Jack to the golden egg. West Coast, sleek, stealth, they spot a loose man a mile away. Prey on the giant's ankles, but they don't interlock their talons. Shoey, keep your shoulders up. <laughs> fly high, little big birds, fly high. <laughs> Watch out for all those know it alls.
3: So, uh, I don't know who do I we-
6: want to win, actually. <laughs> yeah.
3: I don't know. I feel like after watching West Coast just oh. grab that yeah. win and go into extra time They were hungry. They were hungry and I saw something in them that I just didn't even know was possible. And mm. I wonder whether it has ignited something within them. Mm, and I, I think wonder so. whether Do they you? they will have a, a greater belief. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Eric McKenzie throwing himself at that point yeah. post Lee amazing Matthews style. Yeah. Um without I, breaking it. I thought that was <laughs> Probably the best moment of this mm. entire season.
4: That reminded me of NFL in last year's Super Bowl where Julian Edelman took mm. a catch. And if that didn't happen, there was no way that the Patriots were going to go force extra time and win mm. that. And, mm. and that's exactly what I thought about when I saw Eric McKenzie. But there's also a bit of talk
2: that Nick Nat yeah, yes.
6: make
2: his yes. return. Is <laughs> that fair? They said that they that would be. it would reek of desperation. I can't remember. I, think I was, did see the, someone. The, 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 I Nick think Matt was, was called up. I'm like, why wouldn't you call him up if he's fit? That's not desperation. That's just plain That's sense. That's called coaching, isn't yeah. it? It's like selecting yeah.
0: the best team. I think West Coast are the ones who look more desperate and more, mm. like after that, you know, round last week. I'm backing them. Do you feel yeah. like they might have played their grand final? though? Maybe that's my only thought. They're so they're professional, the though. They have they have so much finals experience, and I I know not within their current playing group, although they, they did a Mitchell. bit. But as a club, they know how to play finals.
5: I do wonder how they're going to go mentally because there were so many peaks and troughs in that game. Mm. It must have been so emotionally draining. I mean, there were two. I mean, we never see there were two thrilling finishes mm. in yeah. the one game. Yeah. You know, oh, literally, yeah. and. Um, yeah, I just wonder how they'll come up. I mean, I, I know that a lot of people were saying that GWS would be happy to see West Coast pushed that far and physically mm. pushed that far. But to me, it was just an f- absolutely phenomenal game as a neutral fan that I Do would not forget f- easily. Do you know who I
4: feel sorry for? the, the four people that are lined up to chair Sam Mitchell and Matthew Prittis off because they're just this on tenterhooks. Yes. It's like, do you,
5: do you need me? No. And the Step chairs back. as well that yeah. are just sitting there.
3: Um, <laughs> I was surprised. I saw Matthew Prittis really smiling. Yes. And, I, and it, yeah. until I saw it, I was like, I don't think I've seen this before. Like mm. he was so Shh. genuinely teeth. Uh, happy teeth that I was thinking, I don't think this guy wants to retire at all. But what I saw in Sam Mitchell was full coach. I feel like he went, he flipped straight into coaching. I loved seeing him organise that team. And we've known he was an organiser, but this was a situation that I haven't seen him in before and that he was confirming with the umpires, do we switch ends now? When does, is the coach coming down? Do we get an address? Bring out the cake. Do we? (laughs) Where are the oranges? (laughs) Tell them to put the chair on ice. I'm not needing the chair off yet. So I thought that was really fascinating. I feel like yeah. we got we got a taste of something that we don't see every day and I thought it yeah. was pretty good. It's a bit
5: like what happened in the 2010 drawn grand final when, remember now quite famously, after the initial <laughs> shock of the draw, Nick Maxwell gathered the team in and sort of That's said to Collingwood, right, right this is- it is what it is. We're going to have to play next week. Let's just start going into recovery mode because mm. there's another game to play.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, that was also really interesting. You're Mm. right. And maybe that made all the difference. Who knows? Maybe. So this week, Katie, what we haven't touched on is the fact that there was a few commentary watch moments. My favourite was on one of the apps saying we're into the fifth quarter and then it said (laughs) we're into the sixth quarter. And I really hope Mm. they don't change it. I I really loved that. Twilight (laughs) Zone. Yeah, it was a bit Twilight Zone.
5: Well, as regular listeners to the pod will know, I... Do get a bit of a bee in my bonnet sometimes with commentary that I find to be either grammatically incorrect or just otherwise intriguing. There were a couple on the weekend. So there was a point in the Geelong-Richmond game where Patrick Dangerfield took the ball and the commentator was speaking about Patrick Dangerfield and the fact that Patrick Dangerfield was looking to kick long and the commentator said, as if to talk about Dangerfield, he knows he's got a long leg. And I thought to myself, well, if your legs were different lengths yeah. and you you had a long leg, I would have thought that you'd know about it. Sure. Of course, you're going to know about yeah. it because you're walking around lopsided oh, yeah. all the time, you know. <laughs> so that was. Um, but the other one was in the West Coast Port game, which we've just spoken about, Richo. There was a point at which he said, what about this start from West Coast? And I thought, well, what about it? Why are you asking us? I mean, you're being paid to commentate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, oh, tell us about the start. I think that's start. a bit rough no, on this yeah, 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 It's a poetic refrain. Yeah, oh, yeah. Rhetorical.
3: I think oh, we need God, no, It must be very
5: hard to commentate in the moment.
3: I did enjoy seeing, I can't believe I'm about to say these words, but Roaming bright. <laughs> Roaming Brian, firstly, I liked seeing him hand over the microphone to Alex Rance, who um, was fantastic, and I thought it should be Roaming Alex, Roaming Mm -hmm. Rance. Um, Rance. Or as Craig
5: Willis would say, Roaming
3: Rance. (laughs) (laughs) So we did a bit of Roaming Emma and Kate (laughs) this week and also caught up with Peggy O'Neill at what is the happiest place on earth right now, Tigerland. If Dusty wins the Mm Brownlow... Oh you're going to go and get neck tats again. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Oh, it might hold off and see what happens the week after that. Okay, all right, assume okay, it no. will win, and then we'll do that. But okay. uh, we're just hoping that uh, Dustin leaves a little bit of space for <laughs> some uh, some more tattoos. But um, uh, but no, I hadn't thought about that one. But I bet there will be a lot of tattoos mm-hmm. um, around Melbourne, and there might be a few neck tattoos after yeah. that. Yes, you would you'd make anything work. Yeah.
5: <laughs> so you've just seen Richmond win their first final in almost two decades. Tell us 2001. What, yeah, tell mm-hmm. us what it felt like as a fan first and foremost.
7: Well, I was excited. I was excited by the crowd as well, and uh, I think everybody got such a lift of spirit when Dustin, at the end of the third quarter, runs down the, close to the boundary and bounces the ball, and you could tell something really magic was about to happen. And I might have replayed that about a dozen times since. Yes. <laughs> But around me, everybody just stood as one, and and then I think we were up 13 points by then and came out the fourth quarter, and they just put the pedal to the metal, as they say, and it was... It was wonderful. It was wonderful to be part of the crowd. It was wonderful to see our team play so well. And it was wonderful to win a qualifying final. And against Geelong, who had sort of beaten us in so many matches before that. So it was a a wonderful night. And the fans, I think, made the evening to 95,000 people. And... um, I do think that most of them were for Richmond. <laughs> yeah. I, think
5: I, I think I did see somebody tweet, nobody beats Richmond 14 times <laughs> in a row.
7: <laughs> and it's true.
3: <laughs> um, there's nothing more galvanising than the scream of yellow and black at the MCG. It just was a beautiful moment. You mentioned Dusty. He had an absolute cracker and so did Cochin Yes. And they worked beautifully together. They continue to... Just blow our minds with how this is such a beautiful relationship between this odd couple. Kate and I have long have been pontificating that we think Dusty, we liken him to Frodo Baggins. And he's going through the he's doing the trip with the precious. And we think if he's Frodo, then that makes Koch Samwise Gandhi. So if we extrapolate it, does that make Damien Hardwick Gandalf? <laughs>
7: Can you confirm or deny? Well, I I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) I don't know that he sees himself that way, but there's no doubt. There's a very special relationship between the two of them who are, I think Katja said, they're closer than brothers. They have galvanized the team and their relationship and the connection between all the players this year, and Katja's driven a lot of that. So um, you're seeing, I think, a team forged instead of individuals and it takes something to and that's where the special moments come from mm-hmm. is when teams put ahead of individual and um and i think they're on the road to accomplishing that this year
5: we were talking before about the vibe and the the excitement here we're here at punt road today um and you're a visible icon now of the game peggy and to richmond fans you're very special and important but also to to fans from across the code we wonder whether when you walk around here at punt road or around richmond do people approach you now for a chat is there a especially in this week now that rich you know it's such a positive vibe do people approach for a chat and a cheer as you wander around town
7: they have I know I live in Richmond and so I've been part of the community here for a very long time so I sort of know everyone but then there are the the strangers or the people that I don't know personally and for example I, I dropped into the club on Sunday to pick up some stuff and I hadn't been in to collect my mail and I was walking back home and I'm standing at the light at uh, Punt Road and Brunton Avenue and somebody rolls down the window honking the horn and all that stuff <laughs> go on Peggy and I <laughs> And I started thinking I've got to stop myself I didn't play uh, <laughs> and I, I guess I'm always surprised that people um, do recognize you but I know that they love the club and they know people around the club and you're a symbol of what they love Mm and so it's not about you it's about the club and and the they're proud of, of what we're doing here and they're happy that we've had a good win. So, so those things do happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, last year when we weren't going so well, I heard from a lot of people too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit more pleasant these days, yeah. but, uh, but by and large Richmond fans are fantastic. And, uh, and I'm always happy to stop and have a chat cause I, love nothing more than talking about Richmond's more. Of course <laughs> those
3: Richmond fans are very vocal we actually did see an article this week about a Geelong supporter who was saying that she'd copped a, a fair bit of verbal stuff um, at the MCG on the weekend and it had made her question whether she had a place in football mm. and as a female footy fan it makes you you going, yeah oh, this has happened to me too or whatever how did you kind of Process that
7: all fans ought to feel safe and have a good time at the football. And uh, Richmond fans have a good time at the football. I think that that women one of the great benefits of our game is that people love to come to the game. They have a good time. I know I've gone to the game by myself and always, in the past and always loved it and made lots of new friends around the way. So I think we need it to be inclusive and welcoming. And if um, someone feels they're being mistreated, there's security there. There's the anti a hotline that you can call but we'd hope it wouldn't get to that and we need to be respectful of each other's feelings and also to make sure that everybody has a good time because if you have a good time you come and you get great crowds mm-hmm. and if people aren't having a good time or if we lose the women's participation in, in our sport we'll lose a lot so I think it's just come on we're all in it we all um, you have to have an opposition or you don't have competition mm-hmm. so um, so let's just make sure everybody has a good time and be respectful.
5: Speaking of having a good time, Peggy, we've spoken a lot about the last week, which has been a great time Mm. for, for you and for this club. But I want to look forward now, if we can, if you, I know it's, I I feel nervous even thinking about it for you. Dare to dream. (laughs) Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So we're seated here today at Punt Road and I can see through the glass of this window, I can see the towers of the mighty MCG. (laughs) I wonder uh, whether you ever allow yourself to look across that car park to those towers and dream of winning the preliminary final next week, winning the grand final. Do you ever go there in your mind or, or are you focused as the president on, on all the kind of mechanics of the, the club and getting everything right in the lead up to the prelim?
7: Oh I leave all the mechanics to Brendan, I just dream. <laughs> uh, over the years you've learned that what happens on the day is what happens on the day and, and you can equip yourself as best you can and you hope for the best and I think we have every reason to feel like we have a really solid team that's going to do great things but again I try to imagine going to the game and what it's going to look like and you visualize and um, yes I can picture us winning (laughs) Uh, we'll see who our competition might be whether it's GWS or um, West Coast but uh, we've played both of them this year and done pretty good and whether our form holds through that and um, so you put all of that in your head and and I'm like everyone else I've been reading just everything that's come out about us and we've become a big story because we finally have had some some success but the next step is getting further down that pathway of the ultimate success. So yes, I do look at the MCG and I try to imagine what it might be like to be there. I think I'll hold up, so I'm ready.
3: (laughs) If if we checked your Google history, how many times would we find the words, can Richmond win the
7: Google? (laughs) Oh, who told you? I think our, our job here is to be supportive of our, our great team and coaches and, and to enjoy ourselves because this brings great happiness to so many people. And I think in the end, the success of the club causes lots of people to feel so much better about themselves. And let's face it, we haven't had bragging rights in a while. So <laughs> um, so I, I think that that's why you play football. You play footballs to be in premierships and to win them. And uh, it looks like we're getting ready to equip ourselves to do that.
5: Well, we hope that you do. Now, I'll, I'll close by saying this, Peggy, that when we spoke to you last year on our podcast, you revealed to us that you are a superstitious person. Um you well, have a, have little a couple supersti- of superstitions. Yeah, a couple yes. of superstitions yes, when I it do. comes to the footy. Yes. <laughs> and one of them involves peanut M&Ms. Um, That's you, true. <laughs> you take your peanut M&Ms to the game. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a whole week to wait until the preliminary final, <laughs> so we wanted to close by offering <laughs> you... Some- <laughs> A packet of peanut embers. It's a super sized pack.
7: <laughs> That'll get me through tonight. <laughs> <laughs> to keep you
5: going, we hope they bring oh, you up. Like,
7: thank luck you and very we hope much. That, that Rich go all the way. Thank you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> One thing that we did talk to Peggy about, which was I mean, you don't like seeing it. There was a report that came out that um, a supporter felt unsafe at the footy, and I just. It made me really upset to see that actually because I have felt like that and I guess that's kind of why we created the podcast. I know Mm -hmm. that sounds completely ridiculous but the amount of times that we've all copped it at the football just because of our gender and um, I hate seeing someone say that they're handing in their membership because Mm -hmm. this is not the code for them.
4: There's, yeah and there 's definitely a section of fans who don 't know how to behave and and we do see you know these things pop up from time to time for example i 'd argue that the booing of Adam Goods out of the game was one of those examples that went on for a really long time, but we also do see racist, homophobic, and sexist behavior which can be quite aggressive, and I think you know we 've all experienced that feeling of trying to stop it and the times I know personally when I've I've said please I need you to stop doing that I've felt really quite unsafe and have been told you don't belong in this space so I don't know it's a really tricky one and I did a little bit of reading about crowd behaviour and went down a big sociological kind of wormhole yesterday and didn't actually get to anything I think you know there are a lot of theories that are quite complicated on crowd behaviour I'd imagine that organisations, you know, big sporting organisations around the world are, are looking at ways to influence crowd behaviour. But we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, how, you know, the change needs to come in the outer. And I mm. imagine it needs to come from top down. It needs to come from grassroots. There needs to yeah. be role models. Reading the, the stories about that, I, th- I think it's complicated when you're in a
0: capacity crowd and you don't have the opportunity <clears throat> to move away. Mm. Um, mm. there's always going to be people who are offensive. And, and I, I don't actually think, from what I read, I don't think this was gendered. They were equally abusive to men who were getting in their way.
3: Um, there was some language in there that was really offensive to women. To women so, as yeah. well, yeah. yeah.
0: But they were abusive to all sections of the crowd, mm. like anybody who got in their way walking in and out to get drinks. Yeah. It was about the the obstruction of view um, and just being, you know, offensive. There are mechanisms in place where you can tweet or mm text the the number and there's also some really good security vision that does go on at grounds but when the crowd is that big I think it's it's actually quite terrifying for a lot of people anyway you know mm. and then you add in those voices and just having that behind you the entire time, I would get up and leave. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't hand in my membership. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, there's so many good parts of this game and there's so much joy that comes from it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's club related. I think every club has good members, yeah, yeah. bad members, good yeah. support. You know, I, but I, I do think that in moments of capacity crowd, you're really mm-hmm. stuck.
2: You know? And it's yeah,
4: really hard true. because we all have different a different threshold. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right.
2: I think, and she did. I mean, one of the one who's actually handing in her um, membership did indicate that this is an accumulative effect. It wasn't mm. just from in response to one game. But I think you know, as Felicity mentioned, there are those. You know, there's the the um, you can tweet the bad behaviour, that kind of thing, and that's great. But I do feel like it's got to happen in the ground. I think we, the rest of the crowd, has to feel a little bit more empowered to just mm. before it gets too heated, before the game gets too critical, to make those comments to to request that people be quiet, to feel like you've got a space where other people will back you up and for the most part people will back down in that situation, I think.
5: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. I think it's a good idea in, in theory but I think one of the problems is too that it's sometimes easier said than done to stand up to people True. and, you know, you mentioned, Lucy, that often when you do it you do get more of a backlash. I mean, I've been at a game with a friend of mine before who's a Sydney Swans supporter and felt that he might be physically attacked by an opposition fan after he spoke to them and, and it was frightening for, for me and obviously very frightening for him I think what we need is a suite of measures. You know, there's no single explanation for why people behave badly at times. We need a suite of measures. We need more education. We need more awareness. I think maybe more outspokenness from clubs. And hopefully together those things will will provoke change.
0: I would also say if you're there with someone who's behaving badly, pull your friend in line. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because these people aren't there alone. They're there with other people. It's basic
6: behaviour. Don't be a dick. We've said it many times. Mm. Go with that.
3: I sometimes think when it gets to finals and there's a lot of corporate people there as well um, or people who aren't really supporters of those actual clubs, people get pretty mouthy about other teams. You Mm. know, they're just there for the joviality. Is that the word? Yeah, for Mm. the spectacle. For the spectacle of it and they they can often put themselves on the line in a way that, that the week in, week out public don't. You know, we did have a situation behind us. Remember at that game where a supporter said something and then his mates pulled him into line and said, mm. Hey buddy, don't say that any mm. again and and so I thought that was that was a real shift. Yeah. Mm. So it is it is happening. Um now there were some huge upsets in the VFLW on the weekend. I couldn't quite believe what my human eyes were seeing. <laughs> I know poor old Megan Brewer, who is a mugger through and through, is doing and to Geelong support Anna Geelong- oh, she oh. had a bad weekend. Oh. Yeah, bad, bad weekend. Um, so the muggers at Melbourne News out because they were beaten comprehensively and beautifully by the Sharks, who are circling. Mm. <laughs> the Sharks will meet the Falcons. The Falcons went down in spectacular form to the Creekers, who were just blindingly good. Mm. They were so good on the weekend.
4: So this weekend the Falks will play the Sharks and the winner will play the Creekers. Yes,
2: exactly. And how great was it to see... On all the newspapers, all the yeah. so, like on the Herald. I yeah. mean, all of them had uh, photographs of BFLW. It was mm. really exciting to see Wonderful. women on the lead mm. story. It was great. It sure was. And then it was followed
3: up by seeing Katie Brennan win the BNF, which I just want to do a big shout-out to her because I think she's a really competitive person. She puts a lot into her game and into her practice and her training and to be out injured during the first season of AFLW and being the captain, I think... That was just so heartbreaking for her and her tenacity has got her back to, you know, incredible form and she's been really putting in and to see her recognised at the BNF was fantastic. Another person we saw play on the weekend was Chloe Malloy. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, Katie
4: and Chloe actually (laughs) were the equal highest goal kickers for the VFLW and Chloe was also the highest goal kicker for the TAC Cup. Mm. So she's gone from best and fairest in the TAC Cup highest goal kicker and then has gone on and played in the VFLW, has won Rising Star... And equal highest goal kicker with Katie Brennan, really so hard. there's been a lot of talk this season about her going number one. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I know. I, I think there's something about this basketball connection because that, that's where she went. She played footy to start, but then went off and, and played basketball for that time when she couldn't play. And you know, you see the Aaron Phillips. And remember back in Sheedy's day, he was always going on about trying to recruit American basketballers. He thought mm. he saw that as a logical connection. I think the difference was these women have played as kids, mm-hmm. and so the ball and the shape they really are familiar with it. So even though they went off and then did their training in basketball, they've then come back. And it's a familiar sport to them, mm. so you know I reckon there is a new practice there that we we might keep an eye on. Well,
5: yeah, Jared Rufford's another one who's played a lot yeah, of basketball, and you can just see when any skills, you know, his, his hand-eye coordination and the way and he's in his able celebrations. To... His celebrations are very <laughs> basketball. <laughs> I reckon
2: basketball oh, is... when he goes and gets a net. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
6: I'd love to see a combination of the two games, like basket foot.
3: You know, you <laughs> the, the game and I like that. Yeah, yeah. One thing I do like seeing is, and I can't even believe I'm about to say it: legislation passed down the girls can wear shorts (laughs) I know, it's quite incredible. So Victorian
6: public schools will be forced to allow their female students uh, to replace their dresses and skirts and they can wear shorts and pants under changes the state government brought out this week. And the rules bring the state into line with WA and New South Wales and Queensland. It still remains the decision of individual schools. And we spoke earlier in the year about a piece in the conversation online which talked about, for some parents, requiring girls to wear skirts and dresses to school outdated expectation. It amounts to gender disadvantage and discrimination and restricts movements in real ways. Wearing skirts makes it harder to move. Consciously or unconsciously imposes considerations of modesty and immodesty and inhibits the girl's ability to play sports. So it is um, given a thumbs up all round and it really makes a difference. And Netball Australia's Head of Community Strategy and Netball Development, Anne-Marie Fippard, said that Netball Australia had been doing research into this and that research undertaken by Netball Australia shows that strict gender-based uniforms are a barrier to participation. This is a great inclusive step. And anecdotally, just talking to many young girls, they were like, why can't I... When I play footy, I'm embarrassed with my skirt mm, of and they're playing footy at lunch. So this is a huge thing and I hope that other schools follow.
3: It's massive because you think about feeling welcome in playing sport from an early age and if you're wearing a skirt and your undies flash while you're doing it, there's nothing that's, you know, I mean, that is just so embarrassing.
5: Totally. Yeah. And we've spoken about it before. I know you've had a little segment in a few episodes in the past, Em, about um, period watch, mm. you know, and, and it is definitely even more pronounced for young girls who might have started menstruating and who are playing sport and who have a skirt on and yeah. might be wearing a pad or something like that. Like, I, I remember that feeling. I think we probably all do yeah. and how self-conscious you can be. So it's very important, unfortunately, that we have to worry about this kind of stuff, but it's a real, a real step in the right direction.
3: In other fashion news, did anyone watch the AFLPA MVP awards? Every time you say
6: MVP, I think of visible panty lines.
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> there was visible chino lines, is what there was. It was the weirdest dress code I have ever seen. So the men were wearing chinos, open neck shirt. What's a chino? What is a chin- I feel like it's something that you would want
4: to eat pant made it's out a of golf a drill pant. material, like drill, drill. cotton. Oh.
0: Oh. I, I did okay. see a very weird series of posts from the AFL Players Association where you could vote on the best dressed oh. man at the mm. MVP.
3: No one. Yeah. No one.
5: No yeah. one was best dressed. Was it was option. terrible. Yeah. None yeah. of the above, I would been,
3: of the It above? would have been better if they were wearing tracksuit pants and a t-shirt. I absolutely shit you not. Like mm. it was some of the Do worst they... it was like world's worst golf outfits is what it was. Without the
0: socks. But going back to our conversation last week about not having a theme for when they do Mad Monday, don't they have uniforms for such an occasion? It's a formal event for your club. When else are you going to wear your blazer? Mm.
4: Yeah, wear your
7: blazer. (laughs)
4: Spray, Down the, the shops, surely. Um,
3: Dusty did look impressive, though, winning. He's just cleaning up, Dusty. Yep. So yeah. he's won the... Some people say that the AFLPA MVP is the a bigger, deal. bigger mm, deal. More prestigious. So, yeah, so he did a good job. I think he, gave, he had a really cute speech. Yeah, yeah Kate, he did. did. you
5: hear it, Katie? He did, yeah. And look, I saw somebody tweet out, too, that, again, I mean, I know we've done Omen Watch already, but just... How many accolades are lining up now Mm. for people from the Richmond Football Club? You know, whatever happens from here, they're having a terrific year. So Alex Rance is the All-Australian captain. Dustin Martin is now the AFL PA MVP. Um, They also had the... Jacob Townsend. Jacob Townsend, thank you, was the JJ Liston trophy winner. And then watch this space. Yeah. Mm.
3: Yeah. Just complete the set. Yes. So, have we got delisting? Watch before we move on.
2: Yeah. So, I, from Dusty's recruit from his draft year uh, 2009, we've. Sadly, saying, well, temporarily at least, saying goodbye to Jack Trengrove, Melbourne's um, former captain, actually. Uh, A lot of speculation about whether he was a captain too early and that that might have shortened his career. And I don't think any of that really matters. He's 26. It it does seem very young and obviously a really talented player to have come ahead of Dusty in the draft, um, actually. But um, we got a lot of response to the Mitch Brown interview we did Mm. last week, which kind of made me have a little look at the d list. Is that a thing?
6: Yeah. And the D-list. It's on, yeah. My, it's on my bedroom wall.
2: <laughs> and, you know, which is being regularly updated at this time of year. Um, and I just think it's important for everybody to kind of, there's a lot of names that you might not have heard of that are people's careers and people's lives are on hold for a time. And it's I just think it's nice for everyone maybe to go and look at their team's list of D-listings mm. and just a little nod to the players who gave it their all, but for whatever reason Silent didn't make prayers. it.
7: Silent prayers.
2: Yeah. Silent prayer, minute of silence, yeah. Cheers with a gin and tonic Yeah. And you know, I, I'm <laughs> I, I think Trent Grove will get picked up by somebody else, but fingers crossed. You never can tell.
3: So another thing that's about to happen is that the girls are about to put their names in for the AFLW draft. And one person who there's been a lot of interest around is a really special guest on our podcast today. Her name is Hannah Mouncey. And I'd not met Hannah before, but we ran into each other at the footy on the weekend and she was kind enough to tell us her extraordinary story. I'm just going to start my intro again because I'm fairly certain I forget, forgot to post-record.
1: Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's all right.
3: We're sitting here in the outer which is always a great place to collect stories. We're watching a women's footy match and I'm sitting here with Hannah Mountsey and Hannah, women's footy has diversified the football industry a lot. You've seen it firsthand because you're an elite athlete, you're a footballer and you also just happen to be a trans woman. How's it been for you? How have you felt seeing women's footy really take the next level on a national level?
1: Yeah, it's been pretty cool. I mean, I never... You know, my involvement with women's footy before was non-existent, really, um, for obvious reasons. But, you know, I it's been really great just playing locally and seeing the AFLW. It's, it's been really, really good. It, it's forced all the other sports to, I think, catch up, too, with how the women are treated. But, you know, I, I haven't had a lot to do with football for a long time either. So, you know, just getting back into it and, and seeing how much it's changed especially in the women's side from 10 years ago to now. It's been really cool.
3: You're playing in Canberra at the moment. Who do you play for?
1: Uh, I play for Ainsley.
3: And how's your season been?
1: Yeah, it was really good. We um, we had a great season. We finished fifth. We actually lost our elimination final in extra time to Queanbeyan, who ended up winning the premiership. So... We were definitely there or thereabouts. It was just a really rough way to finish.
3: <laughs> you've been an elite athlete in handball. Actually, tell us all of the, the international competitions you've, you've actually um, competed in.
1: Australia with handball is we just we just don't have the resources that the other countries do. Um, all all the teams that we would play against are professional athletes. A lot of the money is similar to what you know your AFL players would get. Whereas I'm still going to work, um, <laughs> so it makes it a little bit tough. But yeah, so. Played in the Middle East, and um, that was qualifying for the Rio Olympics, which we missed. We missed out on played at World Championships in Spain. We never played a tournament in Kosovo, and then you know we did play one tournament at home in Australia, which was good, and then over in New Zealand as well. So yeah, I've sort of gone all over the place, which has been really good. It's taken me around the world and seen other places that I wouldn't have necessarily seen yeah. outside of handball as well. So it's been really good.
3: So clearly you're a very competitive person yep. and you've got the athleticism to back it up. With your footy, we've heard people talking about what an amazing footballer you are. Are you going to stay playing your footy in Canberra or what's your football journey going to be?
1: Um, at the moment, I really don't know with the draft coming up in October. So I'm still working out, you know, which state you've got to nominate for because I've I, for some reason, thought you could nominate multiple states, so I need to figure that out. So I uh, could end up New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Victoria. You know, it's it's all pretty open. So I'm just gonna um, try and work that out to start with, which state to nominate for, and then if I'm picked up, I'll obviously move there over the AFLW season, um, playing for whichever club that is, and then just see what happens from there. I mean, Canberra is very much home for me. Um, been there for 10 years now, and. Um, I think it's just something I'm going to have to just see how it pans out in a lot of ways. So, you know, I I want to be able to stay involved in both sports.
3: Do you have any fear in putting yourself in for the draft, knowing that you will be a pioneer of sorts and that there will be a lot of interest just because of your personal journey as well as your football journey?
1: Look, not really. I mean, you've got to get picked up first, which is, (laughs) you know, so it's not like that's a given. So I've got to... um, look not really I mean if people have an interest in me because I'm trans and that's what it is I can't control that you know and to be honest I've probably heard and seen everything that you possibly can if in the negative sense um, so that, that's not really gonna hold any fears for me there um, yeah I, I'm just keen to play get picked up hopefully and then see what happens and whatever happens outside that is just something I can't control.
3: So the the challenges and the issues that you face in sport, do you feel like they're just this, are they the same as other people's or do you feel like there's an extra layer of considerations?
1: Look, it's it's definitely different to what it was before and, and, and you know, so I know that I am different and, and not necessarily in a good way or a bad way, it's just, it's different. you know, I am going to be seen differently. You know, I think once you work past, I guess, the red tape to actually playing, um, which is a bit easier with the AFL being a national competition, whereas... Campbell being international, you've got to deal with the IOC and other things. So, yeah, right. But I know that people have said, oh, you know, I mean, you know how big you are, so you'll probably hold back a bit um, so you don't hurt anyone. I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to hold back. <laughs> like, that defeats the whole purpose. Like, you know, and... I had my ribs broken in the last game, so, you know, I know that they can hit me just as hard as I can hit them and do damage. So, look, it, it is different. I know I'm seeing differently, but I don't approach it any differently. It's yeah. probably the best way of putting it.
3: Well, we're very excited at the concept, given that we've now made a fast friendship over yeah. the um, sausage sizzle have. in the outer. <laughs> um, we'd love to see you playing your football in Victoria, and I, I guess there's so much opportunity out there. What does it feel like, knowing that the draft is approaching? Are you... You know, carbo-loading every Thursday night and oh, upping, look, the, upping the weight sessions?
1: It's sort of hard, to be honest. I mean, the weight sessions, I think uh, anyone concerned would probably say stop. Um, <laughs> and, and to be honest, I haven't done many. That's simply because, you know, I, I've got to probably reduce my weight as much as anything. And, the, and more that you're doing to maintain it, you know, is you know going to be detrimental to the aerobic side. So mm-hmm. I, I know I'm pretty strong. So I do enough to just maintain the strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing a lot of running I, I gave myself I got myself pretty sick um, recently because I decided to just jump back in what I was doing two years ago which was three times a day sometimes you know and uh, my body can't do that at the moment because mm-hmm. I haven't trained that way for a while and also just physiologically things are different you know not having any testosterone but this much weight it takes it, it's Recovery is difficult, yeah. um, which is probably something I didn't factor in. So there's a bit of a tri- trial and error factor there. Is
3: there any research that you've know that you seen or read or is there any kind of guide that you can follow for what your body is capable of oh, now after transitioning? Not
1: really. I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's all very much anecdotal. I mean, I, I can talk from my experience and, you know, even in those anecdotal ones, you know, they're probably from people who weren't training at that elite level or higher level before. So... Not really. I'm figuring it out as I go along. It's just a matter of, I think, knowing that your recovery is going to be a bit longer. You can't eat as much as you used to. You know, being weighing a lot less, but also, you know, not having the male metabolism, you know. So you've got to really watch what you eat a bit more than I might have had yeah. to before. Did you always love football? Uh, look, to be honest, growing up, I was really more focused on cricket and things like that. I don't know whether it was the idea of just standing around not doing much when you're fielding and... <laughs> Then when you're batting, you know you go out, and if you get out, you sit there, you just having muck a around. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Or definitely the lunch breaks were, were <laughs> I was keen on. But no, I always, I always liked to. I was, I was probably more keen on cricket. I think I just liked that a lot when I was younger. It was the first thing I did, so I think that's sort of part of it. And yeah. I grew up in Sydney till I was 12 as well, so I really only got into football when I was like 12 and moved to Albury, and it was just one of those things I did. It yeah. wasn't like I was. You know, nuts on football and doing you know massive pre seasons at fourteen and stuff. You know, I was probably just eating pies. So, (laughs) you know, it was was only once when I turned about eighteen or nineteen and realised how hard you had to work to actually get to an elite level if that's where you want to get through handball that I really changed, Mm -hmm. uh, if if that makes sense. uh, The mentality and footy now is something uh, you know. I really absolutely love, um, you know, probably more so than I did growing up, um, and that I think partly might be because you know now playing it with the girls, I'm probably more comfortable than I was before with the men. It's one of those things I think as a kid, and and even you know playing as an adult, the few thing, the few times I did, you know, I, I wouldn't really feel very keen going back to the after match stuff because I just felt really uncomfortable and not really knowing why. But now playing with the girls, I'm at all those things, and I just feel a lot more comfortable. So I think transitioning actually allowed that passion and love for the game actually grow
3: yeah and are the girls in your team really supportive of you i've heard you talk about how fiery they get yeah they're great (laughs)
1: there's a a couple of times this year i thought they were going to get suspended standing up for me um, where i've turned around and someone's on the ground trying to punch someone and it was because someone had said something so you know i'm the biggest one out there by a fair way but they're They're really, really protective of me. And they were fantastic. Like, they were such an amazing group of girls to play with. And, yeah, they were were really, really good. They they need a big rap.
3: (laughs) That's really nice. I guess you must get tired of feeling like you have to educate people all the time, but that you've got a group of girls who've got your back.
1: Yeah, I think the thing with them, the really big thing that helped is they didn't actually know me before. Mm. Um, So they've only ever known Hannah. So, you know, I think that makes a big difference because... It's just what they know, whereas um, for other people who've known me before, it's a little bit more difficult and it's not an education side of things necessarily it's just, when you're trying to reconcile the person that you knew with the person that is there and it can be really, really hard And especially because, you know, if you were particularly close to the person who's transitioning, and this isn't just me like, there's a real grieving and mourning process that's there um, you know, I went through it as well you know, and that might sound counterintuitive, but it's just what it is, and A lot of the time, people going through that don't get a chance to actually go through it properly because they want to be really good friends and be there for you when you really need them because it's such a hard time. But they don't get the time for themselves. And Mm. I know that was my case. You know, I really didn't not not appreciate, but I didn't really understand fully what people around me were going through. I thought I did, Um, but in retrospect, I can see I didn't. And you know, and that's something that I, you know, really regret and have to live with now. But it's not an education thing it's just easier if people don't for, for people who don't know you before to accept you because they're not going through that grieving process that you know trying to get their head around things and, and losing their friend mm. you know because that's what's happened you know the same person but you know they, they a lot of the time lose you know if you're close to them they're losing their best friend yeah. in a way um, and, and that's really hard so that you, that's the biggest thing
3: do you ever feel like you've lost your best friend? Like, is there a part of you that misses the old person? Um, look, not...
1: I wouldn't say I've lost a best friend because I was... I wouldn't say I was ever my own best friend, but I think it's uh, one of those things where, you know, I, I, I didn't hate who I was. You know, I didn't hate um, me or anything like that. Like, I really liked who I was, but there was, a, there was a part of me that wasn't... that was just too strong to keep going the way I was, so... I had to sort of bring that out, you know. Like, I'm still very proud of the things that I did and who I was. You know, I know that that person was a really, really good person, just like, you know, I know I am now, even though others might argue, but um, maybe because I'm a bit too competitive, but um, it, it's hard. And, and, you know, like, we were talking about it before and I almost started tearing up a bit where I was like, actually, yeah, I sort of do, and that came from nowhere. Yeah, it's, it's a really hard one. Like, I, I think that's the thing that probably shows to people that trans people really don't have a choice, um you know, because no one hates who they are, really. It's just that they know that there's one part of them they have to change that then means everything else has to change. And that's and that's difficult.
3: I'm gonna leave us with this. I've never met anyone before and so this is you're a first for me. I've never <laughs> met anyone before who has played handball. yep <laughs> Yep. <laughs> We always really appreciate getting your emails. I love getting them sometimes after people have been at the games. I think they get home and they're so full of they've got so adrenaline, much, uh, adrenaline yeah. and that they just go, I've got to download with someone. And we got one from gorgeous Catherine who is a Geelong supporter and she's been very supportive of the podcast, Alicia. Can you read out just this gorgeous message we got from her?
6: She's amazing. I'm sure you can appreciate that yesterday was a tough day. Being a Geelong supporter has always taught me that nothing is a given. I've learnt resilience in a way that only a footy fan can understand and the Cats reminded me of this on Friday. It's the most bizarre feeling to be a little bit devastated on one hand but to be so excited and moved by a Tiger Army on the other. I sat at the G on Friday and couldn't help but smile as little Dusty and his friends danced rings around my boys. What a sportsman. Aww. Isn't that amazing? That's
3: just someone Beautiful who loves sportsman. the game. Yeah. Like she just yeah. she couldn't help but be touched by that yeah. moment. That, so that was late. a bit
0: different. To, was it Dangerfield who was asked after the match, we, were you a little bit happy
3: for Richmond?
4: Oh, <laughs> I'm sure no. it was him that someone asked. <laughs> He's yes, still in the zone. So I
3: was was just, it Roaming Brian? Oh yeah, He's been. asking the wrong person. Yeah. We also got a message from gorgeous Brendan.
4: We did, and I quite like it. I'm going to put my ego in here because it references my fairy tale from a few weeks back about what I'd like to see happen but part of Brendan's letter said even though the lack of crowd at this stage made for easy use of the escalator to the fourth level, I decided much like a seasoned footballer that this was not the time to change up my routine I took the stairs (laughs) (laughs) I was the only person making the slow ascent to the top of the G and it was a calming experience. As I walked through the third floor landing, I caught in the corner of my eye a huge black and white framed portrait of the iconic Captain Blood Jack Dyer in his famous pose in the foyer below. I took a moment to pay my respects before moving up to the fourth floor. (laughs) Up the top I found I was sitting next to a man who introduced himself and explained he was a cousin of Fred Swift. Fred was the captain of Richmond's 1967 drought-breaking premiership a game played against the Geelong Football Club. If this wasn't a sign, I don't know what was This was it 50 years on from a drought-breaking premiership win against the Cats and we broke an 11-year losing streak to them, a 16-year finals losing streak and won in round one of the finals for the first time in 35 years. It's time to break some more droughts Go Tigers. Go oh, Stairs. Gosh.
6: And Lucy, you should be on Play School.
3: I know. Was so, no, reading I actually reading fell voice. asleep while she was reading that.
0: I think the other part beat of that omen is that Brendan sounds like he was sitting at the highest point.
3: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think he was. Hey, um, for my Indigenous um, education segment this week, um, I was inspired by, we were talking about the Little Sydney Opera House on the Swan's Jumpers, which I really love. And I was looking up a couple of sacred sites and things around Sydney, and here's a really interesting thing that I found. This article is called A Memorial Place with No Memorial. The site of the Opera House used to be a small island connected to the land at low tide. It had two large middens. Aboriginal people used it as a place for ceremony and feasting. Interestingly, today it is again a place of ceremony, performances, and feasting. There's a food court there. (laughs) And the Opera House looks like the shells that you would find in a midden. The Aboriginal name of the site is Warang, which means scars in the back, because it used to be the place where young boys were initiated, part of which involved scarring their backs and I was thinking how is it that I never knew that, mm. that, yeah. that, that yeah. the That's opera right. house mm. which is such a symbol of this country is actually an aboriginal sacred, sacred place site. of course mm. it is so I would implore you when you're watching the swans play and you see that little symbol on their jersey to maybe think about what went before and um and even if you're visiting and maybe you can tell people who come from other countries who want to visit the Opera House. One person I saw visiting the Opera House on Instagram was Jen White who was the maker of a podcast called uh, making Oprah, who we met at OzPod, mm-hmm. which was um, an ABC gathering of pod people. And um, <laughs> we met so many new friends there. And I, I think well, there'll be a few people who've never listened to an AFL podcast before who may <laughs> tune in this week. So thank you very much to everyone who gave us some support this week, who have maybe found the podcast for the first time. Yeah.
5: Hello to all of all of them. Um, and Em, you flagged this earlier, but I just wanted to make sure that we gave due recognition to the, to the flight crew that brought us back home. <laughs> From Sydney, yes. I didn't want this lost, so we had a very special moment on the plane. As you said, we flew back from Sydney during the Geelong Richmond game, and we were all super keen to know what the score was. And we were hassling the flight crew from the moment we got on, and they were so good. They did hassle the pilot for the scores and did tell us the scores over the PA system a couple of times. So that was absolutely wonderful. So next time you're flying during an important game, don't be afraid to um, tell the flight crew politely. Do you think every Every plane in the, in the cockpit has got a score update, like I'd an ASL so.
3: app. I'd <laughs> say so.
2: The yeah. pilot came and delivered it directly.
3: That was ridiculous. Right. he looked at us like, should I get security? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a bit of that. I think it was. <laughs> and thanks again to everyone who is supporting our videos. We're putting our videos and our little sketches up. We've got a YouTube channel is that what it's called they're on YouTube so we tweet we'll out the, the links the yeah, tubes. We, we put them on, um, put, the tubes. So put them on <laughs> Facebook if you're not following us there please do and I haven't asked for a while but we love reviews because we get to hear from you in a way that is beneficial to us <laughs> so let's make it a two-way relationship so if you like what we're doing here please review us yeah
5: and a big thanks to Peggy O'Neill who um, was such a good sport this week she is going to appear in the video or she does appear in the video that's come out alongside the podcast so go and give it a look thank you Peggy she was great fun
3: yeah we really lowered the tone (laughs) um and before we go I just want to do a huge shout out to Hannah for telling us her story today it was really important for her to do it and it was important for us to listen to it as well and I really appreciate that we don't take for granted people who choose to tell their stories to us and I, I've thought a lot about that this week with Mitch Brown as well who mm. really entrusted us with his story so I hope that we've done it all justice. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the finals and Go, go for it. <laughs>